Welcome to Maximum Mom with Elise Bowie, where you'll hear from women who are navigating the same messy journey as you. Lawyering, entrepreneurship, and mothering. What a trifecta. We're here to share tips, resources, wins, losses, and encouragement for moms who are raising a family while building a law firm. So you feel less alone in your journey toward a fulfilling career and being the best mom you can be. Okay, welcome. Today, I'm so excited about my guest. It is Angela Barker, who is a family law attorney in New Jersey and New York. Welcome, Angela. Well, thank you so much for having me. Oh, I'm so excited. I cannot wait to talk to you about all the things. Angela is, and I'll let you fill in any details I forget, but Angela is an attorney. Like I said, she owns the law offices of Angela Barker, New Jersey and New York family law. You're a Columbia law school grad, right? Yes. That's so exciting. What a great school you got to go to. I love that. That must be wonderful. Yeah, it really is. And Ruth Bader Ginsburg was there, wasn't she, for part of her career? Yeah, yeah. She was a teacher at Columbia. Yes. I did not, you know, she was way before my time. Right. But she did come to have some lectures, wonderful people, wonderful graduates. It was in New York City. I grew up in New York City. So I had a good time at Columbia, maybe too, too much a time because I got pregnant. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) I had too much a good time. (laughs) Was that in the middle of law school? Like, when did you have your baby in relation? I had my baby. He was born in May. I graduated in May and he was born like a week before I graduated. So he was born. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. He was a brand new baby while I studied for the bar exam. That's awesome. I had thought I failed it because it was like sleep deprived studying for the bar. But we both pulled through, my husband and I, who was a fellow Columbia grad. So we did it. We did it. That's amazing. That is amazing. (laughs) You both were studying for the bar exam with a brand new baby. Right, right. My mother-in-law came up from Florida and help take care of the baby while we study for the bar exam. I love that. Now, do you have any other children or is that your own? Yes, I have another child. That baby now is 21. It'll be 22. So this is my 22nd year practicing law. And he's in college, finishing up his last year. And then I have a 16 year old and that's it. Two boys. That is awesome. I love that. And I love how you space them out nice like that. So you had a little break from getting one through college and then the next one will go. Yeah, I wish I had done two years apart, though, because I don't know. I just find that redoing everything again, five years apart, I think is a little bit too long. I should have done it two years you know, I thought that that then they would grown up together. Right. And and I would have been done by now. He yeah. Would be his first year of college this year. So absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Ours were closer. Like we did that kind of two year thing. I mean, a couple of them ended up like two and a half years, but it was nice because they were close together. I mean, except for when it comes to paying that college tuition. I have to tell you, that has not been so cute. You know? <laughs> um Because, you know, you literally have multiple kids in college at the time. And I'm like, oh, this is kind of ugly. Right, right, right. Yeah, I wasn't thrilled with that. Well, tell us a little bit. What does your husband do? Is he still practicing law or what is he doing? Yeah, he's a corporate lawyer. 
So so funny from law school, we did moot court. I, I made him, oh, yeah. I made it, I asked them to do moot court with me. And he said, Oh my goodness, litigation. This is not something I want to do. <laughs> awesome. So he's a corporate attorney. Very cool. I love that you did moot court together, though. I think yeah. that's I was huge in moot court. I loved moot court. <laughs> I enjoyed moot court. I did. I did. I knew that I wanted to be a litigator. I knew I wanted to have my own business. So, you know, I wanted to do moot court. I didn't really like the corporate route. So that litigation was for me. I love that you knew you wanted to start your own business back then. I mean, tell us about that. That is super curious to me. So there you are in law school. You know, you want to litigate. You like moot court and you're thinking you might want to start your own business. Well, that was my plan before law school, that I was going to start my own business. My dad was, my, my father's deceased. He was a family lawyer and he had his own business. So I liked his lifestyle and I liked what he did. And I knew that eventually I wanted to also have my own business. Plus I grew up, my dad and I, my parents were not married. So I did not grow up with my dad in the household, but I did, was very close to my maternal uncle. And he had his own business. So, you know, it's in the family. So I've always liked the freedom of having your own business. So it was uh, something that I wanted to do eventually. So, um, yeah, it was always top of mind for me to eventually strike out on my own and have my own business. Love that. Well, did you strike out on your own initially out of law school or what was your path to where you are now? No, I didn't. I graduated with student loans like everybody else. I didn't have a whole lot because I did get some aid in law school. I did get a scholarship. Good for you. But um, I graduated with um, about $70,000 in loans total. And I went to the corporate law firm, you know, to get the skills and frankly, get the money and get the seed money to start my own business. So I did that for six years. And after my second son was born, you know, it was not feasible to continue in corporate America and have the lifestyle. Plus, I didn't want to do that work anymore. Another thing I did was I knew I was going, I wanted to practice family law. I took family law in law school. Mm-hmm. I took the clinic in family law clinic in law school. And I did a lot of pro bono family law at the corporate law firms. So oh. I, so that was my path. So, you know, and when I felt like I had, I knew enough, I was sufficiently versed in it and I felt comfortable and we had to seed money. I decided to go out on my own and hang my own shingle. Oh, I love that. That is an amazing story. I love how you did the combination of learning those skills because, I mean, corporate law teaches you some amazing skills. Definitely. did. They also taught me to put my document in word processing and get it the next day. But when I went on my own, there was no word processing department and I had to do it all myself. Oh, yeah. It it teaches you amazing skills. And, you know, I always feel really comfortable because if I've done multi-district litigation, um, one of my firms was at Boyce Schiller with David Boyce, who one day said, I don't care. We had a, a lawsuit, Visa Against American Express. I remember we were in a conference room with about 50 lawyers, 50 to 100 lawyers. I think it was that much. And the question was, how many banks we're going to sue? We're going to sue Visa 
But right. we're also going to question Sue Banks. And I remember he said, we were like, someone said, there's a lot of banks. He's like, I don't care if there's 100 banks, we're suing everybody. <laughs> and um, I, I remember that that fearlessness that, that you know, we're going to do it. We're going we're gonna to get the job done. Oh, and yeah. That's what we learned. Not to be a jerk about it. That's not what I learned. So when I did come out on my own, and in family law, you see a lot of that. Oh, but you see a lot of that. You see a yeah. lot of people doing all sorts of things. Yeah. But, you know, I really learned, you know, let your work speak for itself. Absolutely. And if you need to file the motion, you file the motion. If you need to file, you, you file 10 motions. You need to get it done and you need to get the job done. And I think that's the edge that it has given me. No one can out litigate me after working in a corporate law firm. No, no, because you've seen that let's sue every single bank. I mean, you know what that looks like. So yeah. when yeah. you need to go subpoena every single bank to find assets, you're like, right. I got this. Right. You, you need to do your job and you need to explain to your client and you need to do it in the most efficient and judicious way. Right. And, and I think that's one skill I've learned. So whenever someone comes to me and asks me about a path to family law, I always tell them to try to get into a good litigation, big litigation law firm yep. to learn how to practice litigation the right way. I agree. Because you're not going to learn it if you just come out of law school and hang your shingle. You're not going to learn it. You're not. I don't think you're going to learn it either if you go for to a non-for-profit. Like I did work at legal services for a few years while I was building my business. And yes, you learn different skills, but that skill of pulling the case together and doing the research and building your case and putting your case on I think you learn that with the at a place that has a lot of resources. Absolutely. And well, the training. Yeah, yes. the training that goes in. I mean, I was lucky as well to work in a large law firm early on and also clerked for a federal judge for two years. It was so helpful, just all the trial ad training and deposition training and all those things, so that then none of those things feel scary ever, you know. Yes, it does not feel scary at all. That uh, right. And being in a room with 100 lawyers, and when I'm saying 100 lawyers, I, I don't mean lawyers for just our side. I mean lawyers for the other side. Mm-hmm. And seeing the attorneys have a conversation that is real and knowing that when someone says, I am going to do this and I'm going to sue this and I'm going to motion this, that they're actually going to do it. Right. That's what's missing, I think, from family law. People puffer a lot and possibly oh, yeah. a lot and say all kinds of stuff. But that feeling that when you are in a room with 100 lawyers and you look at the de- opposing counsel dead in the eye and say, I'm going to do this. And then I'm going to sue all these other people and knowing that that's going to be the case. Yep. And, and that's what I liked about litigation right. and law firm. Yeah, it's very different. I think family law, there's so much incivility in the law and so much of that people just banging their chests and kind of threatening things. And then I think we see that play out with our clients too. I mean, I always tell my clients, I'm like, don't say something that you're not actually going to follow through with. I mean, I mean, same with parenting, like just don't say it, you know? 
Because right. if, if you're not going to follow through and be that consistent person, I mean, you lose so much credibility, I think. Yes. And to be collegial because you're in a room with lawyers, but then you see them, your colleagues on the federal panels and the other stuff, you're arguing about the case and the issues, you're not fighting with one another. And that's something that is missing. Another thing that I miss though, is the quality. I'm going to say this right out there. The quality of judges, the quality of judges were very good. Quality judges in the commercial part in the federal district courts were very good. They were focused on getting on the issues, you know, you you appear before the court, and there's a case management conference. You're going to have a case management conference. And in family law, you might not see the damn judge. <laughs> you exactly. the, court. the judge may be gone. They might be talking to their you know, clerk that just graduated law school a month ago. That's the irritating piece is that it is the area of the law where I think that courts do not put the resources necessary for right. some important issues. You, you give the best judges to the commercial part, and but not to the part where custody is determined. Exactly. Sense. Well, I mean, I think that's true really across the board. I mean, it's judges. I think, I mean, I know I see it in professionals, like, you know, even people who are working like as guardian ad litems or parenting evaluators sometimes you know, I'll read a report and I'm like, did this person actually do any training for this? Like, how did they write this? I mean, I just, and I think that we, a lot of times people just think of family law as sometimes maybe easy or something or not as important. And I kind of think of it as the reverse. I mean, you're dealing with people's families and you're dealing with decisions for children that have huge impacts on the rest of their lives. And to me, it's incumbent upon us family law professionals to take that so seriously. And I mean, and not forget the law. I mean, it's sometimes a joke. I think people are like, well, do you even put a law in the family law motion? And I'm like, yeah, we do. Yeah, it is. It is concerning. I hope the ship is turned around. I right. really has to start with the judges who demand a certain level of work. But they too, if they have 300, 400 cases, you know, I don't know how legal minded they can be. Exactly. As I get older, it is becoming it is it's becoming more and more irritating to me that the law is left out of it and that it, it is not where it's supposed to be. And we need more resources in family law, most definitely. Yeah, I think so too. I definitely think so. Well, and in our bench here in Washington, you can get on the family law rotation, you know, and having never touched a family law case, you know, in your entire career. So you're a judge now and you're sitting for your first day and you might've just gone to like the judicial training, but you might've never ever handled a family law case yourself. And that to me is very, I mean, there's a lot to pick up, you know? Um, yeah, there is a lot. There's a um, lot. I've been doing this for a long time. Yes. I was 16 with my dad and right. there's a lot to pick up. What I do like though about New Jersey practice is that we have the mandated mediations. 
So after we have finished a discovery, we go uh, before something called an early settlement panel. Mm -hmm. And it's a panel of our colleagues, of three other attorneys, and they review our submissions and they, you know, they tell us what they think will happen at trial. And a lot of cases get settled that way. And it really is good to see your colleagues where you can sit down and talk to your colleagues about the case and they can tell you what they think. And sometimes it's a very different perspective on what you think. You think that this case, I'm definitely getting 11 years of alimony and they'll tell you, oh, I think it's eight or nine. Or did you look at this case? And what about this issue? And get a chance to talk about it. So I like New Jersey's practice with that early settlement panel. And then if that doesn't happen, we have economic mediation where we go to a a mediator and try to get the issues. I also like that New Jersey have, you have to go to a parenting workshop if you have children and you also have to try to work out custody with this parenting coordinator. So I think Jersey practice has done come really far with those issues and trying to, you know, build in ways to mediate the case. I also like that they're very serious about, you know, the docket, protecting your calendar so that if you're filing an order to show cause and it's not an emergency, the judge is going to knock your order to show cause down to, you know, tell you, you got to refile this. This is motion. This is not an emergency. This is not emergent. Oh, good. That's great. They do that a lot. So I I feel that it helps the process a lot. And it also helps the uh, the client to see that what you're telling them. Right. Other attorneys are telling them the same thing. And it helps the client to see that you're just not trying to get the case to settle, that this is really what will happen should you go to court. So I really enjoy that about Jersey practice. I think New York should adopt that because they don't have they have nothing. There will no mandatory mediation, no ESP panel. You know, it could be the wild, wild west. And I think it needs to come more in line. And New York has to get on board with mediation. Definitely. Oh, I think that's huge. Yeah, we have mandated mediation, too. The Guild is an insanely productive community of lawyer entrepreneurs with a growth mindset who share their collective genius and hold each other accountable to take their careers and businesses to the next level. But in 2021, we are upping the game. In addition to exclusive access to the group, FaceTime with the two of us, discounted pricing for live events, and front seat exposure to live recording and podcasts and video, we are mapping out for members the exact growth playbook with our new program, Maximum Lawyer in Minimum Time. As a Guild member, you'll build relationships and experience content specifically designed to complement your plan for growth. For a limited time only, the Maximum Lawyer and Minimum Time program will be offered for free to all new Guild members. Join us by going to maxlawguild.com. Well, now I'm going to switch gears a bit. I would love to talk to you about the book that you worked on with the other women, The Road to Independence. Can you tell us about that project? Oh, wow. That was so long ago. I wish you had told me about that book. I would have grabbed that. I think that was 2008, 2009. I was on I don't know how I got ants, but I was a little bit more involved in the ABA at that time. I'm still involved in the ABA Family Law Committee, but not as much. 
And someone approached me and asked if I would want to be a part of it. So I did the letter. It was a long time ago. And I enjoy doing it. I don't know if I reread that letter, if I agree to everything, because the world has changed so much in the last 15 years or so. Oh, yeah. But it was something that I enjoy doing. And some people told me that they've read. I I think that as a woman and as a woman of color, sometimes you have to forge your own way and forge your own path. And it doesn't have to look like everyone else's way. Exactly. Um, Oh, I so agree. And I read all of those. I was one of those people that bought that and read them all because I found it to be fascinating to see how people did what they did on their journeys. And it really was inspirational to me. Oh, that's good. Good. I think, you know, what success looks like to one person, it might be different for another. At the end of the day, you have to determine what it is you want from life. And for me, it was freedom. It was independence. Yeah. It was, you know, it was important to me to be there for my children and to be who I am. I, yes. I, I didn't like what I didn't like about corporate law is the feeling that you can't be who you are. You have to okay. cold switch. And I wasn't comfortable doing that. So no, me yeah. either. Not at all. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I didn't want to go to the cocktail parties and all that other stuff that you really have to go to if you're going to be part of a firm like that. You have to participate. Oh, yeah. I mean, to make it work and to actually get whatever the goal is, the equity partnership. I mean, which, you know, you look at it now and it's like, I don't even know if that's the right goal. I mean, so many people just kind of kill themselves on the road to that goal which seems to be ever elusive for people. There's recently a book written by, I'm not going to remember her name. I think her last name is Conway. And she wrote a whole book about working in, you know, corporate America. And it just came out really recently. And wow, does she have some really interesting things to say about, you know, what it was like as a woman in her firm And I mean, she cites certain examples of things where she would like go meet one of the managing partners and, you know, really talk about like her salary, you know, because she found out she was earning substantially less than some of the men who were similarly situated, but who did not have even the rainmaking that she had. So she should have been making much more. And at one point, this conversation, the managing partner just told her, oh, yeah, I know, just you just need to put your nose down and keep working and it'll all work out. And it's like, what? I mean, we're in 2020 and this is the advice we're being given. Right, right. I think that when you're a part of corporate America, it's very hard to get sucked in and not see that there's a different way and a different way of being and a different way of doing things. So, yeah, I fortunately, I think I had that experience with my dad and everything. And I felt like he's the real lawyer. I'm just playing at law here. (laughs) So I want to get out and, and really graduate and do that. But I wanted to do family law and family law at that time was not something that big corporate law firms did. They right. department did not only did family laws as part of their pro bono initiative. So I didn't have a choice. It was either be stay at a big corporate firm and do other forms of litigation or go to a smaller family law firm. And I wouldn't have gotten the money that I wanted. So I felt like I needed, I didn't have a real choice to do the kind of work that I wanted to do. I would have to create my own path. And then by then my dad was sick and he passed away. So 
working with him was, was not an option. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I felt like I wanted, you know, it was time for me to branch off on my own. And well, I just own. love that. I just think that you are one of those people that's kind of a trailblazer for <laughs> women. And I think it's amazing. I mean, I, I love it. And I think that people really can glean inspiration from, I mean, listening to somebody who's having a baby right there at the end of law school. <laughs> I mean, you know, you've been there, done it. And well, he I mean, wasn't planned. He just I came know. along. <laughs> I know. I know. I did the same thing. I mean, I got pregnant at the end of law school. And so I took the bar exam, crazy pregnant, you know, with that doctor person who had to come to the bathroom with me every single time I had to go to the bathroom. I was like, oh. she and I are going to be BFFs by the end of this. <laughs> I mean, the things that we put up with, you know, now, I mean, would never fly, but um, I didn't didn't think anything of it. I was like, all right, of course you're going to be concerned. I'm going to cheat in my pregnant self. You know, (laughs) maybe all the answers are written on my belly. (laughs) Oh, wow. That was something else. Oh, they were really intense. I mean, she, I mean, we had, I had to keep the door open. She came in every time. That I went to the restroom. Yeah, it was a and lot. That's of- a lot in your last few months. You're always oh, in the bathroom. It was wow. bad. I'm glad I, that my son was born prior yeah. to that. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. I'm glad he was born when he was born then. Well, um, there you so, go. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been a little bit much. It was. It was kind of nerve wracking. And I really just had to get over it because, I mean, you know how it is. The bar exam kind of a time crunch, too. I was yes. taking the Louisiana bar, which was all essay, three days, all essay. So it's all day long, three days. So, I mean, that's a lot of going to the bathroom. And I was like, I can either get over this real quick and not have this be super disruptive or, I mean, this could be kind of a tank your bar exam kind of thing, you know? And so I was just like plugging along and deciding that we're going to just be good with this. So she and I definitely became BFFs and it was kind of a joke how much I had to go. But I mean, you know, I was given birth to like, I think that child, well, she was only nine pounds. She was my petite baby, but wow, (laughs) yeah. So, wow. Wow. Yes. I, I just remember with the bar, just putting my, I was it's so much in a zone because, oh, I yeah. passed. because back then, I don't know if it's changed. If you had failed the bar exam, you would lose your job. Right. So there was no way that I was going to be at a big law firm in January, have a pink slip. And all my colleagues knew that I failed the bar. It wasn't going to happen. No. So, <laughs> I was in a zone because I was not going to fail this bar exam. Come hell or high water. <laughs> I agree. Well, now I'm going to shift again and I'm going to ask you something that I haven't asked anybody, but I've decided I'm really curious. I've been reading and you might have seen on social media. I've been reading a lot of Fair Play in Unicorn Space by Eve Rodsky. And both those books have really spoken to me and The Find Your Unicorn Space really talks about like, you know, what are the creative things you might do outside of your life as a parent and a professional and a partner? So I'm curious, what are your unicorn spaces? Like, do you have things you pursue outside of those roles as mom, wife, and law firm owner? Definitely. I like to garden. Anybody that knows me knows that I like to garden. And so that's one thing that I like to do. I like plants. I have this, my Monstera, um, Ah. my Monstera back there. I got a big Monstera and, um, you know, I do like the garden. I find it very much like the law, you know, you know, you plant 
you plan and you hope that it grows. You know, that's yeah. what we do, right? We, we plan, we plan, and we hope that it, it there's a good outcome. Sometimes totally. you do whatever. You, you could do everything by the book and then you won't get it. And sometimes you get a surprise. So I do like gardening. I enjoy gardening. When there's no gardening, I like to travel. I was supposed to be in Jamaica around this time next week, but the trip got canceled due to covid so I like to travel. I'm going to Holland in a few weeks. Uh, I think in April or so to watch, to see the tulips. Oh, that's awesome. The Hague. I like to travel. And, um, you know, I, I like Christmas. <laughs> I tell everyone, I'm not sure if so much of a Christian now, but I still like Christmas. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, I love Christmas decorating and everything. So those are the kind of things I do. I'm a member of Rotary, have been a member of Rotary for 10 years. And I do like my Rotary Club. I don't get there as often as I would like. Sure. But I do participate in that. I am a proud graduate of Baruch College, City University of New York. Yeah. And I give back to Baruch. And I, whenever they want me to do something or speak or do anything, I really tend to, you know, I participate as much as I, as I could with my alma mater. That is so awesome. Well, tell me, I mean, I want to hear what has been your favorite trip? Do you have a favorite trip that you've taken so far yeah. that really stands out? Yeah, Ghana in 2019. Wow. That was my favorite trip. Um, it, it really was. It, so I enjoyed Ghana. And then Morocco was really good. You know, Morocco was the first time I've been to someplace that was non-Western. Mm-hmm. And it was totally different from what I was used to. And I enjoyed Morocco immensely. So those two places. Oh, yeah. So so I would say Morocco, Ghana, Morocco, Japan was Excellent. Oh, I love Japan. I enjoy Japan. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So I like Europe. I like Europe, but I I would say those are my top three, Ghana, Morocco, Japan. Mm -hmm. I've always wanted to go to Morocco. I have grandparents who just literally loved Morocco, like they could not go enough. They would go just all the time and they were hilarious. Like there'd be a hurricane coming and they would call us and be like, we're flying to Morocco. I'm like, of course they are. That's oh, wow. I would definitely go back. When I, when I retire, I plan to go back to all those places. I did go to Australia, but um, I only went for 10 days and frankly, I was jet lagged. So you're going to go from New York to Australia, make sure you're doing three weeks because do anything less. It is just too much on your body, traveling almost 24 hours. Yeah, it's exhausting. We did the same thing. We went to Australia. I don't remember how long we were there, maybe two weeks. I think my sleep is so messed up that I don't get jet lagged, which is kind of weird. Oh, wow. That's fantastic. Well, it's weird. But I mean, people talk about jet lag and I'm always like, "Mm, I don't know. It doesn't seem to bother me. But I think my sleep, I am not a good sleeper. So like, I think I just sleep for like five hours usually in a 24 hour period. And it really doesn't matter when it is like, it's all good. You know? That's so, amazing. That's well, amazing. I'm sure I, I, a doctor would disagree. But. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it took me three days. I went to Australia. It took me three days to, to like leave the apartment we were in. I was oh. so tired. We slept and slept and yeah. slept. So, yeah. And then we traveled with the kids. So, you know, having kids oh. and having to deal with kids with 23 hours on airplane. Totally. Not, 
and, and changing flights. And it, it was, you know, so oh it may be a little bit different if I go back without children. Right. Right. Minus the kids, maybe fly first class so you could sleep on the way. Right. Right. That would right. Be really helpful. Right. And right. Right. Yeah. Then it would be a whole different experience. I did love Sydney, though. I found Sydney to be one of the most amazing cities. I mean, I just could not get over all the saltwater pools that were along the ocean. I had never seen such a thing. And where you could go swim and like your swimming laps and salt water is just like coming on top of you from the ocean. Oh, wow. We went yeah. in August, so it was kind of cool. So we oh. did not go in the Sydney summer, but we did go to get to catch the tulips. So it was amazing oh, yeah. seeing tulips in August. That so, is awesome. Um, I yeah. love that you're going around the world seeing tulips. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I, I did. That. I did. I would love to go back to those places, you know, when I'm retired and have more time or when I have more time now that my kids are growing up. Oh, so yeah. I don't have to for go sure. for 10 days, but I could go for three weeks or maybe a month. So that would be absolutely. Good. It makes all the difference. I mean, I am now you know, technically an empty nester. And so I have to tell you, when I planned our 2022, like travel schedule, it was very hopeful. I was hoping COVID was gone. But I mean, I literally was booking trip. I'm like, we can do this, we can do this, we can spend a month, you know, doing a, a fall color tour of the country, because it's so different when you don't have kids at home. It really is. Right. Um, you don't have to go in August. You could go in January, exactly. February, whenever. Yeah. So, exactly. Makes all the difference. All the difference. Well, I really, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate your time today and you talking to us about your journey and just about your family, your unicorn space. And anybody who's listening, please subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you have any questions for either me or Angela, you can always put them in the comments and we can make sure we get those answered. And I cannot wait to see pictures from the tulip trip in Holland. <laughs> oh, yeah, I can't wait. Knock on wood. I Knock know. Knock on wood that it doesn't get canceled. <laughs> Me too. I'm supposed to go to Paris in April. So you and I both will be doing a lot of knocking between yes, now yes. and then. <laughs> yes. Okay. Have a wonderful day, Angela. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate uh-huh. it. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Maximum Mom Podcast, a production of Maximum Lawyer Media. Be sure to subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. See you next time.